Well, no, maybe. Yeah, I should be on. Dilo, you got me back here? There we go. Hey, good morning. It's good to see you here. Everybody awake? We good? If you have your Bibles, go to the Gospel of John, uh, chapter 16. Uh, we will uh, pick up where Luke left off last week. Uh, speaking of Luke, uh, Luke is at uh, Centerville Baptist Church this morning, uh, just down 84 West there, uh, preaching. He'll be there uh, this Sunday and next Sunday, and so we'll be lifting him up in prayer as he uh, is over there preaching and uh, teaching the Word of God, and we pray that the Spirit uh, will bless him while he's there, and he will edify the saints, and the Lord will use him to uh, draw new ones in. Uh, and so, anyway, Luke started us off last week uh, in a series that we are calling Presence and Power. If you haven't picked up on that yet, we are, it's a series uh, about the Holy Spirit. And uh, we're going to really last week, this week, next week, we're going to be teaching about the Holy Spirit specifically uh, with his, uh, his, his, last week Luke talked about his person, the person of the Spirit. Uh, but this week we're going to be looking uh at the, at the presence of the Spirit, and next week we'll be looking at the power of the Spirit. And specifically, if you want to break that down even more, what does it mean to be indwelt by the Spirit? And what does it mean to be filled by the Spirit? Is that two different things? Uh, and so we're going to look into that over the next two weeks. I'm excited about, uh, about it. And you know, the older that I get, today is, let me say this, today is the day that we celebrate uh, 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 Pentecost, the day that uh, we read about Acts 2, where the Holy Spirit came and uh, Jesus sent the Holy Spirit down and he came upon the apostles. And so, and the older I get, the more thankful I am for Pentecost. Uh, and, you know, I used to feel weird about even saying the word Pentecost, like, what does that mean? Or if we get to real weird with Pentecost, we're going to start talking weird and saying, uh, shut about a Honda uh, or whatever, like, uh, or how is this going to work out and things like that, right? So I've always been nervous uh, about that. And, um, uh, but the more, uh, really in John chapter 16, the more that I, I grow and get older and experience the life, uh, when Jesus tells his disciples that it would be to their advantage that he left so that he could send the helper is making more and more sense to me. I'm more and more thankful for it. I'm thankful, obviously, I'm thankful for Good Friday. I'm thankful that Jesus came. I want you to know that we're thankful that Jesus uh, took on flesh. He became man, and he walked on this earth, and he, he lived a representative life and totally fulfilled the law of God. We're thankful for the life of Jesus. I think we would all say amen to that. We're thankful for Good Friday, the day that the Son of Man took on the sin of man and took on the wrath of God. He was nailed to a cross, and he bore the wrath of God, totally, uh, totally absorbing all the wrath that God had on sin. The Son of God uh, completely took that upon the cross. I think we would say, hey, we're, we're thankful for Good Friday. We're thankful for the days that he was in the tomb where he, he borrowed a tomb, and he, he laid in the grave, our grave, if you will. And we're, obviously, we're thankful for Easter Sunday. We're thankful that the Jesus didn't stay in the tomb. We're thankful that he was raised again. And now because of that, you and I can have life. We're thankful for Friday. We're thankful for Sunday. And two weeks ago is whenever we would have celebrated the day that he has 
ascended on high, that, he, that Jesus, not only did he come and live a life, not only did he die on a cross and be buried in a tomb and raise again, but then he ascended and were returned back to the Father, and he was seated at the right hand of God. Now, listen to me, the enemies are under his feet, and death is truly defeated, and now he's our intercessor. But I'm also thankful that he kept his promise to the disciples that when he would go, that he would send another. That he would send the Spirit. And the reason why I say I'm more thankful today about Pentecost than I was even five years ago is because, hey, I need that Spirit to be able to be a husband and to be a father uh, and to be a pastor. Uh, I need that Spirit that, 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 that now indwells the, all believers in order just to do life, uh, to be a halfway decent person, not to be the most selfish human being on the face of this earth. I need the Holy Spirit. I think some of you would say amen to that. We need the Holy Spirit. So the older I get, the more thankful that I can see Pentecost, not as just this crazy, obviously it was crazy. It was the first time he had come upon and empowered the uh, apostles, if you will, but I'm thankful that he came. So what I want to start with this morning is to give you uh, our purpose statement for this series, if you will. Uh, I like to tell you what my aim is when we do this series. Uh, and so if you're taking notes, this is going to come up on the screen. The first reason why I wanted to do a spirit season through the a se- a series through the Holy Spirit, it wasn't just to fill in a three-week time slot uh, before summer. By the way, uh, in June, the first Sunday of June, we're going to dive into the Old Testament book of Ruth. We will spend the whole summer in the book of Ruth. And so it wasn't just to fill a gap there, uh, but it was for reasons. Number one is to make, give us an uh, awareness of the Holy Spirit to give us an awareness of the Holy Spirit. Because, because Luke made mention last week, if we were to be honest, most of us we have a, uh, we believe that there's a Trinity in, in, you know, in Scripture, we see that, but as far as the way we operate and live our life, it's God the Father and God the Son. Uh, we, we understand it was the Father's mission. Uh, he's the one that, he's the one that uh, you know, uh, came up with a plan, if you will, and it was the Son who came and lived it out. But what do we do with the Spirit? Uh, and rather, some of that's because we're super cautious, because we've seen the Holy Spirit just being taken advantage of uh, from televangelists and things like that, uh, that, would, you know, would spit on a napkin and give it and sell it for a hundred bucks and saying, this is anointed by the Spirit, just take it and wipe it or whatever thing you have and you'll be healed. Like we've, we've all seen, I don't, I don't know if that's ever ha- actually happened, but I may have. Anyway, so... Uh, for us to be aware of the Holy Spirit that Luke talked about last week, that he is, he's a he, he, he he's a personality. He isn't just an impersonal force. It isn't just an it. It isn't just this feeling or emotion that comes about us, that the Holy Spirit is the per- third person of the Trinity. He does have a purpose and have, he has an identity. And making us aware that it, there actually is the Holy Spirit, it is the Holy Spirit who unites us. It is the Holy Spirit who causes us to be born again. It is the Holy Spirit who brings us all together. It is he who takes individual sinners and makes them a collective group of believers. So the first reason is there's a general awareness of the Holy Spirit. Number two is that we would see our need of the Holy Spirit or for the Holy Spirit, that we as a church corporately and individually, that we would be made aware of the Holy Spirit, that the Holy Spirit is alive and active in the life of the, of the body of the church, that we'll also, that we will see our need of the Holy Spirit, that we'll really understand that apart from the Holy Spirit, that we can do nothing. 
They, even when it comes to approaching God, apart from the Holy Spirit, doing a, rege- a regenerating work in our lives, we cannot even approach God. I can't, I said this already, we can't, we can't do what God's called us to do and be who God's called us to be apart from the Holy Spirit. Number three is to increase our dependence upon the Holy Spirit. With an awareness of the Holy Spirit, I see our need for the Holy Spirit. Number three is to increase our dependence upon the Holy Spirit. Not only do we don't want us to, to see and know the Holy Spirit and to see that we need him more than anything, but to increase our dependence upon him when we're living our life. Number four is to fuel our worship of the triune God and the power of the Holy Spirit. Notice I use the word triune there, this, the Father, Son, and Spirit, that all three are God and deserve to be worshiped as so. We hope that in this series, this series will be a series that for the years to come that we'll go back to the series because this is what, I'll try not to get ahead of myself for next week, but this is what we will see. Is This is how it lines up for us as a church. We just spent four and a half months on being gospel-driven, gospel-centered, and things like that. But what we have to understand, what we will see is that it is the gospel can be preached, but it is the Holy Spirit who comes alongside that and empowers that to make a change. It is the Holy Spirit who, who, who comes along. It is through the Holy Spirit that we see that our eyes are open, that God begins. He takes the message and changes lives. And it is, we need the Holy Spirit Hey, this morning, we're here to celebrate the greatest miracle, I think, of Christianity. We think about Christianity and all the miracles of Christianity. You think about that God could save us, right? That God could redeem us, that God could uh, give us new life. But here's what I'm thankful for this morning. The miracle of Christianity is that God lives in man. And that's what's new about the new covenant. That's what's new about this side of the cross is that before it was God, just like with the disciples and Jesus, you can see it, that Jesus was with them, but he wasn't in them. If you, He wasn't leading from within, but because of the new covenant now via the Holy Spirit, God comes to reside in man. And what we will see this morning is that the Holy Spirit is the all-inclusive gift of salvation is that it's through the Holy Spirit that all the gifts that we describe in salvation, it is through the Holy Spirit that we get those things. John chapter 16, I'll start reading so that we can get started. That was just ways of introduction. 16.4 of John's gospel says, But I have said these things to you that when the hour comes, you may remember that I told them to you. For I did not say these things to you from the beginning because I was with you. But now I am going to him who sent me and none of you ask me, where are you going? But because I've said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. When he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment, concerning sin because they they do not believe in me, concerning righteousness because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer, concerning judgment because the ruler of this world is judged. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. 
When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. For he will not speak of his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, and for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father is, uh, has is mine. Therefore, I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. Pray with me. Father, we love you. God, we thank you for your love for us. God, we thank you for the Holy Spirit. God, who uh, Jesus sent, as he promised, the spirit that indwells all those who name the name of Jesus today. God, I pray that your spirit will speak to us, that the spirit of truth will guide us into truth, as Jesus says, he will, that he will glorify Christ in our midst, that he'll anoint our eyes to see and our ears to hear and our hearts to believe. It's in Christ's name we pray. And everybody said, all right, so if you're not familiar with the Bible or this Christianity thing, let me just kind of bring you up to speed what's going on here. And so this is Jesus is really his last night with his disciples. He had been spent the past three plus years with them, and now he's, his time had come. He, had, he came to live a representative life. He came to live a life on behalf of even his disciples and all humanity, right? That's why he came, but there, he also came that he could die. And so now the, the clock's turning, and we're getting to that point. So Jesus now is spending his last night with his disciples, and they're a basket case. They, they're, all, they're all over the place. Some of them are thinking who's going to be the first in the kingdom. They're arguing somebody's going to betray him, somebody's going to deny him. But more than anything, they were fearful because they did not know life with Jesus not being with Jesus. You follow me? Like They didn't know what life looked like if Jesus wasn't there. Uh, they were totally freaked out because of the past three, in the year, three years, they walked with him and he talked with them and I, but anyway, I'm not going to sing the song, but uh, well, well, for the past three, three and a half years, they were with Jesus. They woke up and he was there and they laid down tonight. He was there. They, they saw him pray. They saw him do miracles. He, he taught them their whole life had been centered around this guy. The only thing they knew about Christianity was Jesus. And now he says, I'm leaving. Put yourself in your shoes for a moment. What does that mean for us? And so in this, Jesus senses this sorrow and he gives them such incredible good news. He says, hey, uh, verse six, uh, I've said these things about him leaving, so sorrow filled your heart. Verse seven, nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go. What could be better than Jesus being here? I think about that for a moment. For these disciples, this is what they knew of Christianity, is that Jesus, where, wherever he told them to go, he, they went. Whenever they didn't have something to eat, he provided. Whenever, whenever, whatever was going on, they were walking with Jesus. And now, not only does he have the audacity to say, I'm leaving, but he also says, actually, it's going to be better for you if I leave. Like, what could be better than that? Answer, the Holy Spirit. And so let's look even more. And it says, so uh, I, he says, it is to your advantage. It is to your, it is better for you if I go away. Because if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. So let's think about this for a moment. If Jesus stayed with the disciples, why, let me ask you like this. Why was it to their advantage for him to leave? Number one, for him, that means that he would actually go and he would die. If he stayed with them, then he would have never took on the sins of man. 
He would die, then he would, he would be buried, and he would raise again, then he would ascend, and then he would send the Spirit. It was to their advantage that he went and he promised, if I don't go, then the helper will not come, but if I go, I will send him to you. It is to your advantage. And so what I want to do uh, this morning is I want to talk about uh, really two main things. Number one is when are we indwelt by the Spirit of God? As believers, we have this understanding. We have a scripture. Yeah, when are we filled with the Spirit? Uh, and when, when does the Spirit come in to actually fill and take permanent residence in our lives? And then I want to talk about uh, what are the works of the Holy Spirit? We see three of them here. But, and so what we need to understand is, as followers of Christ is that the Spirit comes in to dwell in us permanently. He has a work that he does. Uh, and so let's, anyway, let's dive into this. When are we filled with the Spirit? The answer is at conversion. Look at John chapter 14. Luke read these last week, verses 16 and 17. So then I'll ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Even when the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive, could it, is, it neither sees him or knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you. But check out what he says here, adds here, and he will be in you. There will be, Jesus says, right now, the Holy Spirit is around you. He's, 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 you, you, you he's, he dwells with you, but there will be a time that he will be in you. Now turn to John chapter 20. Uh, this is what Luke talked about last week of them being indwelt by the Holy Spirit. Verse 22. It says, when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. There at that moment, we believe that's when the, the, the Holy Spirit indwelt the, uh, the apostles. At that moment, we believe that's whenever they, they were indwelt, that the Holy Spirit came to take residence. And you say, Justin, when does the Holy Spirit come to take residence or uh, indwell me? Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13 says this. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, believed in him. And what happened? You were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. Well, what we need to understand, this is, I know some of you, this may be boring, but this is what we have to understand, is that we don't get different phases of the Holy Spirit as we grow. We don't progressively get more doses of the Holy Spirit. Listen to me, child of God. The moment you place your faith in Jesus, you are immersed and indwelled by the Holy Spirit. It isn't something that comes in gradual stages. It isn't something that I get more of him later on. No, at the moment of salvation, we read in Ephesians that you are sealed by the promised Holy Spirit. That the moment of salvation that God places within you the Holy Spirit so at conversion, we are indwelt by the Holy Spirit. Regeneration is the regeneration of the Spirit. This is what Ezekiel talks about, that, that God will take this, uh, uh, the, these dry bones, if you will. He'll take this, and he'll, he'll, he'll take a heart of stone, and he'll place in a heart of flesh, and he will place a spirit within them, and that spirit will what? Cause them to walk in my statues. Listen to me. What happens is, is the Holy Spirit comes to dwell he regenerates us. He gives us new life. And the first act of that new life is faith in Christ. Now, I can tell, I'll say this. They happen simultaneously. It isn't like, 
I get a new birth, and all of a sudden, somewhere down the road, I'm going to have faith. It's, or you can't, you can't distinguish about when they happen, but I believe according to the way Scripture teaches that I am dead in my sin. The Holy Spirit comes and makes me alive, and because of him making me alive, I place my faith in Christ. So a conversion, this happens. A conversion, it says that we are brought into the fellowship of the Spirit. And 2 Corinthians 13, 14 says, The grace of the, of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Did you know this, child of God, that when you are saved, you are saved, and now you have entered into the fellowship of the Spirit? You know, we're talking about having a relationship with Jesus. Well, the reality is, is, is Jesus is sitting on a throne in heaven, but he, he lives in us. How? Through the power of the Holy Spirit. So our fellowship is through the Spirit of God. It is the Spirit of God who speaks to us. It is the Spirit of God who convicts us. It is the Spirit of God who leads us. It is the Spirit of God that we, when we pray, that prays through us and for us. It is the Spirit of God that we are introduced into the relationship and at the moment of conversion, I need for us to nail this down. At the moment of conversion, you are 100% indwelled, sealed, regenerated, washed. We have to understand that about the indwelling of the Spirit. Because there's many theologies and doctrines that teach that, no, it's not until you're baptized in the fire that you actually are truly saved. Now listen to me, when we hear the gospel and we respond to the gospel, the reason why we responded to the gospel is because the Holy Spirit regenerated us, gave us a new heart to believe in Jesus. So at that moment, I'm 100% sealed. You follow me? We have to, we have to understand that. If not, then we will manipulate and miss out on the actual work of the Holy Spirit. We are 100%. He is portrayed as a seal, an anchor, and a guarantee. And here's here's what I want you to see this morning, that our salvation is a Trinitarian salvation. All, All be, all people of the Godhead are active in our salvation. It was the Father who willed it. It was the Son who accomplished it. And listen to me, it is the Spirit who applies it. It is the Father who he willed it. He sent the Son. The Son has accomplished it. And he accomplished redemption. But it is the Spirit of God who applies what the Son accomplished. So, in John chapter 16, what is the work of the Holy Spirit? What do we see? So he, he comes in to dwell us, indwell us. But listen to me. That indwelling isn't just so that we don't have to fear going to hell anymore. It isn't just, uh, oh, I'm good now. It isn't that he comes and seals us, makes us bulletproof. No, he comes in and dwells in us. Yes, there is an anchor. There is an assurance there. But when he comes in, he's, he's not lazy. Uh, he, he's got work to do. Uh, and it's salvation for, from God, the actual gospel, it, salvation is, it starts in the inner man. And I'm thankful that that's where the Holy Spirit goes to reside in the inner man because what discipleship is, isn't salvation from the outside in. It's salvation that starts in the inside, then it makes its way out. And that's the job of the Holy Spirit. It isn't on my own strength and my own power. It is the Holy Spirit who does that through and in me and you. So what is the work of the Holy Spirit? John chapter 16. Let's go back there. First of all, uh, he says this in verse 8. When he comes, 
He would convict the world concerning sin, righteousness, and judgment. So three things that when the, when the Holy Spirit comes, uh, that, he will, that he will do. He will, con- he will convict the world of, of sin. and the, what he, uh, He's convicting them of sin, righteousness, and judgment. Now look at verse uh, 12. This is the second thing he does. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. Verse 13, when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. And the third thing that we see in John 16 that he does is he will glorify me. He will take what is mine and he'll declare it to you. Now let's take those one by one real quick. Number one, that he convicts of sin, righteousness, and judgment. Now there are, there are two schools of thought here and I want to try to do my best to present both of them. For some scholars that are smarter than me, uh, I think they're wrong, uh, but they are smarter than me because they can say words that, I don't think they're wrong. I think it's, I think it's all encompassing. I think what I'm about, with the, the two sides I'm about to give, I think it's not a, it's, it's both. It's, it's an all-encompassing thing. Some believe what Jesus is talking about here is that when he says that, that when the Holy Spirit comes, that he will convict, because look specifically, he says, he will convict the world concerning sin, righteousness, and judgment. So concerning sin, verse nine, because they do not believe in me. Verse 10, concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you will see me no more. And then concerning judgments, because the ruler of this world has been judged. Some believe that this is specifically talking about those who crucified Jesus. That, that, that Jesus would go, they rejected him, right? And so uh, that whenever he's raised again and the Spirit comes, then they will be convicted. Like, the Holy Spirit will convict them of their rejection, which that, th- those things are true. I mean, Paul talks about how he defeated and disarmed the principalities and things like that. But I don't think it's just that one side. I also think it's that the reality is, is that nobody comes to faith in Jesus apart from Christ, or the Holy Spirit convicting them of their sin. Yes, specifically, probably those who crucified Jesus were convicted of their sin. But guess what? I came to know Jesus because he convicted, the Holy Spirit convicted me of my sin as well. Right? And so uh, he can, it's, 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 what we see is this. He convicts of sin, righteousness, and judgment. The pictures are, is first of all, you see the charge that is made against someone, the conviction of sin, but then there's righteousness, and then this is the standard that you're supposed to be living by, but then there's the judge that says, you can't, you can't do it. You've missed the mark. This is what I believe this morning. I think this is not only the entry into salvation, but it is the norm of the Christian life. Nobody can be saved apart from the Spirit's convicting work. Because the reality is, is that Scripture says we're dead in our sin. And we're, we've rebelled against the will of God and the law of God. And guess what? Our flesh loves it. It's the Spirit who breaks that bondage. It's the Spirit who opens our eyes to see our ways. He convicts us of our sin. I'm thankful this morning. I think some of you would say, I'm thankful. Hopefully all of you could say, I'm thankful that the Lord showed me my sin and my rebellion. Because apart from that, I would not know God today. I know it gets super quiet in here because we're talking about conviction and sin and things like that. But guess what? It's the work of the Holy Spirit. We have to talk about it. 
Not only does he convict us of sin, but of righteousness. Not only does he show us where we've messed up, but he also shows us that there's a perfect righteousness that we cannot attain. And because of that, we will face judgment one day. And ultimately, there's two responses to the Holy Spirit's conviction. Number one is repentance. Number two is rejection. As I would ask you this morning before I move forward and how that's working in the life of the believer, hey, the Holy Spirit this morning, because I think this is, he, this is the way he works in the believer and the unbeliever's life, is the Holy Spirit, I'm praying that he will show you your sin this morning, that you have not trusted in Jesus. You may be trusting in something, but you're not trusting in Jesus. Maybe you want to follow Jesus, but at the same time, you don't want to stop living the sin out that you live in. Guess what? Well, the first work of the Spirit is that he convicts us of that sin. You can't have Jesus and that life. And I love you enough to tell you that. But then the Spirit will show you, that, hey, you can't, you can't be righteous. But listen to me. But there was one that was and is. And if you'll trust in him, Oh, he will forgive you of sin. He will, he will bring you into the family. He will forgive all of your sin if you'll just believe. The Holy Spirit comes and he convicts of our sin. He shows us a righteousness that we can attain, but then he glorifies Jesus and says, but his righteousness can be yours. So he convicts of sin, righteousness, and judgment. The second thing that we see in John 16 is that he guides us into all truth. This could be translated uh, to be led on one's way. Think about, uh, actually, he sets it up. Look at verse 12, and I know I've got to hurry, but look at verse 12. He says, I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. As in, like, hey, I know, like, I flipped your world upside down by telling you I'm about to leave, but I've got more things I need to say to you, but I know you can't bear on me yet. I know you can't handle it. And the reality is, there are things for the apostles that they couldn't understand yet, but here's what I've come to understand about life, is that many times I don't understand life, and I need a guide to put me, walk me through it. Right, and so, so think about the disciples. They're about to live this life, and he says, hey, guess what? When the Spirit comes, he will be your guide into all truth. So all the things, listen, there were things that Jesus had already taught them that did not make sense to them until after Pentecost. Like there were things that, 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 that you can see it in, and when Peter stands up and preaches, all of a sudden he's connecting dots from the Old Testament to the New Testament. It's, oh, that's Jesus, and that's what that is, and the, the, the chief cornerstone, and you can see it in Stephen. You, you killed him. You crucified him. Who's doing that? The Spirit's illuminating those things in their mind and their heart, saying that's how these things connect, right? And so now Jesus says, hey, the Spirit not only is he going to convict of sin, but he's also going to guide you into truth. And what we understand is it is he who led men to write the scriptures. So ultimately, he's guiding us into the truth that he himself has written. I think we can trust the author. I think if what he leads us to, we should be able to, to trust him. 
In 1 John chapter 2, for the child of God, this is how the Spirit works. In 1 John 2, 26-27, John writes, I write these things to you about those who are trying to deceive you, but the anointing, this is the Holy Spirit, that you've received from him abides in you. Where's the, where's the Holy Spirit at? It, it's in you. It abides in you. And you have no need that anyone should teach you, but as his anointing teaches you, the Holy Spirit teaches you about everything, and it's true, and there's no lie, just as it has taught you abide in him. What we understand is the Holy Spirit, it, he guides us into all truth. Things that the disciples couldn't bear yet, Scripture says that eventually that one day the Holy Spirit is going to declare those things to the apostles. And the reality is we need it. That's why he says in verse 12, I know we're not the disciples here, but there are things that we don't know, we can't understand. We need help into those truths. Listen to me. Oh man. A church can have incredible doctrine. Bulletproof doctrine. All the knowledge in the world, but apart from the Spirit, there will be no understanding. Because it is the Spirit who guides us into truth. And we can be flawless in our presentations of the gospel. We can be flawless, and this is what we believe, but apart from the Spirit, we don't understand. My prayer is that the Spirit Continue to guide us into all truth. The third thing, for time's sake, let me move forward. Now, so in John 16, we see that, number one, that he convicts of sin, uh, righteousness, and judgment. We see that he will guide us into all truth. And number three is that he will glorify Jesus, that he glorifies Jesus. And this is uh, clearly can be seen when he says in verse 14, he will glorify me for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the father uh, has is mine. Therefore, I've said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. We understand that the, uh, when, when Jesus came, he was all about what the father, this is the father's will. I'm here about doing my father's business. And then what he's saying is when the spirit comes, he will be all about my work and what I've done. He will point you to me. Matter of fact, we see it in 1 Corinthians 12, 3, and it says, Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says Jesus is a curse, but no one can say Jesus is Lord except through the Spirit. The Holy Spirit. It is the Holy Spirit who turns our eyes to Christ. So he glorifies Jesus. What he does, it's about Christ. Listen to me. He convicts us of sin and righteousness and judgment. He guides us into truth. Why? To, for the glory of Christ. That when he's convicting of us of our sin, not listen, not just the entrance sin. Listen to me, child of God. Did you know that the, the Holy Spirit doesn't take residence in your heart or in your life at conversion and then leave you? He actually stays with you. And guess what he continues to do throughout the rest of our life? Convict us of sin. Right, and we could attest to that, that we have that Holy Spirit that does that, and he, he's continuing to guide us in the truth, but the, the purpose of those things is so that Jesus is glorified. So that's what we see in John 16. Really quick, I'm just going to fly through these. What are other works of the Holy Spirit that we see in the New Testament? 1 Corinthians 6 
says that he cleanses. The, he gives life and he sets us free. We see that in Romans 8. He sanctifies. It's Romans 15 and 16 and Galatians 5. And uh, the Holy Spirit's sanctification is something that's done. It's something that's, that's finished. He has, he has called us out. He has set us apart to be holy. But it's also something that's continuing. He, so he, he cleanses. He gives life. He sanctifies. He gives, us, uh, gives assurance. Romans chapter 8 teaches that he bears witnesses of our spirit that were, were children of God. And that's actually could be even seen in 16. Whenever he says he will take what is mine and he'll declare it to you. Well, in salvation, you become his. And I'm sure there's times the Holy Spirit declares to you, no, you are his. You have been saved. He gives assurance. He, he leads us to obedience. That's what the new covenant teaches us. He unifies us. First Corinthians chapter 12. He takes a bunch of individuals and makes us one. He is who unifies us. He intercedes. He bears witness. He adopts. He, all the promises of God are made possible by the Spirit. As I said earlier, he is the all-inclusive gift of salvation. He is constantly at work, and it's the purpose so that we will live spirit-filled lives. So next week, we will talk about this being, this is being indwelt. What does it mean to be filled by the Spirit? Because if you read through the book of Acts, you'll see numerous times that Paul was filled with the Spirit, and, and Stephen was, we know he's a believer, then he was filled with the Spirit, and uh, different missionaries throughout the book of Acts, there were, they were times that they were filled with the Spirit, and so I'm going to do my best next week to try to talk about the difference between the permanent indwelling of the Spirit and times whenever we're empowered by the Spirit. And so please be here for that next week. Now, general applications. All right, Justin, that all sounds great. But what in the world does that mean for me right now? First of all, you got God living inside of you, child of God. I just, you're not on your own. That should be good news. God is in you forever. Listen to me. There's not a step that you walk that you're walking alone. God, via the Holy Spirit, is residing in you. And Scripture has a lot to say about that, a whole lot to say about that. It says things like, greater is he that is in you than he that's in the world. Listen, it has a lot to say about what it means to have God in you. He's in you forever to never leave you and nor never forsake you. I don't know what life is thrown at you. Listen to me. Sometimes life happens and people, people cause us to be isolated because they leave us. But sometimes we isolate ourselves because we don't want to deal with the things that we have to deal with. Hey, listen to me. You're not on your own. God is with you. He's in you. And really, there's nothing you can do to keep, get him out. Remember that picture after, after the death of Christ? And Scripture says, because the fear of the Jews, the disciples were locked up in a room. I just get this image. They, they, they had everybody locked out. They were isolated. Nothing was going to get to them. They, had, they probably locked the door and threw away the key. They locked themselves in and locked everybody out. What does Scripture say? That Jesus just walked right up in there. Fear couldn't keep him out. Thomas was doubting. Doubt couldn't keep him out of the room. Listen, there's nothing for the child of God. There's nothing you've done or you're experiencing right now that God says, all right, I'm out. Vacancy. He's in you forever. 
The second application that you need to know this morning is not only is he in you, but he is working in you via the Holy Spirit. Because the Spirit takes residence, then he goes to work. He goes to work, beginning to, he sanctifies us. He, so we're, we're sanctified past tense, as in we're set, sanctified means to be set apart. So the Holy Spirit sets us apart positionally. But then progressively, he's sanctifying our life. He's making us holy. He, he is making us other than. By producing the fruit of the Spirit and causing us to, to confess our sin and repent of our sin and, and turn to live in Christ's righteousness. And so, listen to me. Not only is he in you, but he's working in you. He's working in you. Say, so Justin, I don't feel it. I don't see it. Hey, you may not be where you ought to be. There's a great chance you're not where you used to be. And that's because the Spirit's at work in you. He's changing you. He's doing a work. And some, hey, some of us are hard-headed and stubborn. It takes the full power of the Godhead to get our attention. But He's working in you. Sometimes his working isn't pleasant. John 15, Jesus describes to it as a vine dresser who's tending a vine. He's pruning and he's cutting back. I've shared this story with you, but man, when I prune things in my house, it's, it's bad. Great murder. Like, just to completely annihilate them. And man, that poor tree is exposed and looks awkward. And I'm sure if it was had, had a voice, it would just tell me, quit, please. I guess that's how he would talk. But it's, it's weird, it's awkward, it's painful. But it's necessary. And the reality is, for I think some in here this morning with the Holy Spirit's working in you, is there's a pruning process going on right now. It's painful, it hurts. Maybe there's confession that needs to take place. Maybe the, some forgiveness that has to happen. Maybe some things in your life that you need, just need to repent of. The Holy Spirit is at work in you. Man, is it? For the Holy Spirit to pump those brakes, put up roadblocks for us, could there be a greater picture of mercy than that? For God to say, hey, you're going this direction, but I'm going to stop you. I'm going to let you get found out. I'm going to expose you, but it's necessary. That's a merciful God. Instead of letting us just run into the wall or go over the cliff or go off the bridge, he says, no, not my child. Will you let him do his work? Number three, not only is he working in you, not, is he, not only is he in you working in you, but God is working through you. It is through the Holy Spirit. Listen to me. Oh, man, this is a beautiful picture we're going to talk about next week. So Jesus is leaving. He tells his disciples in Matthew 28, the Great Commission, go and make disciples of all nations. But before they go, he says, hold on, but I need you to wait for a moment. I need you to hang out here in Jerusalem for a moment until the Holy Spirit comes upon you. 
Because Jesus knew that there was a work that he was calling them to that would be impossible for them to do without the empowering presence or the powering uh, coming upon them that the Holy Spirit would give them. But now in John 20, they had already received the Spirit, but he says, listen to me, I need you to hang out in Jerusalem until the Spirit comes upon you. Hey, listen to me, child of God. Think not only is God working in you, but he's working through you. That through you, through you, God, has sheep that are not yet a part of the flock and wants to use you to reach them. For you to let your light shine. For you to be a witness in your community, in your workplace. And listen to me, you don't have the good news. The good news about the, that God being in us and residing in us and empowering us through the Holy Spirit is that it doesn't matter what I'm good at or not. Because the power of the gospel and the work of the gospel isn't dependent upon my eloquence, which I do not have. You know, I trip on my words up here all the time. But it's through the power of the Spirit that's in you, working in you. He also wants to work through you to reach those who don't know him. Let's pray, Father, we love you. God, we thank you for your love for us. God, we thank you for your Holy Spirit who resides and indwells all who have placed their faith in you. God, I do pray right now that if there's anyone in here who has not trusted in Christ for salvation, who has not been born again, that they will listen to the conviction of the Spirit as the Spirit convicts them of their sin and their inability to live the perfect life, that they see the judgment that that brings about. God, I pray that your Spirit gives them eyes to see Jesus, that they will trust in you. God, for the believer in here, maybe we've been denying the Spirit or rejecting or rebelling against the Spirit. God, I pray that today that we confess, that we submit anew this morning to let you guide and lead our lives. God, I pray for us as a church that you will guide us into a deeper truth, that you'll give us great understanding of who you are, and that understanding will give grow to greater worship and greater love for you and greater zeal for missions and ministry in our community. I pray that you we lead and we move as your Holy Spirit leads. Right now, it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.